0: The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. I'm having a hard time believing that it's already the week of Thanksgiving. It's crazy how fast this year has just blown by. But that being said, Thanksgiving is absolutely my favorite holiday. Everything about it. I love the fall. The weather starts to change. It starts to get a little crisper. When you drive over there in Port Nature's next to the plants, there's like this this like smell of cancer that brings back all of the nostalgia that I had as a kid driving to, to the high school. Um, the food, I love to hurt myself from eating so much on Thanksgiving. I love all the foods, basically. Not so much the casseroles, but like the uh, the turkey and uh, the, the dressing. And, and I, my, one of my favorites is rice dressing. That's so good. Uh, And then all of the the desserts and the pies and all that kind of stuff, I love that. Uh, I love the football, you know, passing out into a food coma while you're watching football is like the epitome of like you've reached it, right? Uh, I also love uh, the Black Friday deals that come out on Thanksgiving Day. I don't really care to like go shopping on Black Friday. I just like to look at the magazine that they send to your house, right, to sit around on Thanksgiving is like a tradition, you sit around on Thanksgiving Day and like, Look at all the magazines and the deals, and you're like, man, that's a really good deal. And you're like, I'm never going to go fight the crowd over that, though. But it's cool to look at, right? I love everything about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a day that we, as a culture, have decided to set aside to offer up thanks for all the provisions that God has graciously given to us. But what does it mean to be thankful? What does that really mean, right? That's a, that's a word we can kind of toss around. But what does it really mean to be thankful? It's got to be more than eating so much that you make yourself hurt. It's got to be more than watching football football or coveting over the Black Friday deals. What does gratitude really look like? What does it really look like to be thankful? In Luke chapter 17, there's this short, seemingly random story about ten lepers that Jesus heals. And so I want to start off this morning. That's not our primary text, but I want to start off reading that, uh, that passage in Luke 17, verse 11. It says, while traveling to Jerusalem... He, talking about Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Uh, As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests, and while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed, we're the nine. Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way, your faith has saved you. And so in this encounter, we see this idea that I I want us to really focus ourselves on this morning, and it's this, that the fruit of real gratitude is worship. If you're really thankful about what God has done in your life, your response, your natural response, not some religious I have to, but your natural response to that healing that God places and does in your life will be worship. Right? Out of, out of ten lepers that were healed, only one returned. And when he returned, what does it say he did? He worshiped. It says he gave glory to God. He fell before Jesus and he worshiped Christ for who he was and what he did. And what does Jesus say? He says, were there not, uh, were, were there not nine of you guys? Were, were they not healed too? Or are they not thankful too, right? There's this, there's this idea, in other words, that there's this expectation that if they were truly thankful, they would have returned to worship just like the one did. These guys, they were healed of this just incredibly debilitating disease. Leprosy was this really horrible thing that, that would overcome people, and, and when it did, it wasn't just the physical ailments that came along with the disease. It was it was a very social thing too. They were immediately kicked out of town into this community for lepers, and so they were no they were not around any of their family, their children, their their spouse. All of those relationships they're over, right? They're they're immediately quarantined into this 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 community where they're disconnected. They're alienated. Notice what it says in the text that they stood from afar, afar from Jesus. That's not just because they wanted to; it's because that was what they had to do. They had no other option. In fact, as they moved through town, if they if they got anywhere near somebody who was not uh, a, a leper themselves, they had to yell out "unclean, unclean," so that everybody knew the disease that they had. So you can imagine what what healing would have brought to these people. It's more than just physical. right? Jesus healed more than just their physical ailments. He changed their lives. He gave them life. Their lives were over. Their, their relationships with their spouses, their kids, all of that was over. And in one moment, one encounter with Christ, Christ brings them physical healing, and he gives them life. What's the point? Jesus has brought healing from sin in our lives. He's imputed to us His righteousness. We were disconnected and alienated from God, but Christ has given us life. Jesus has given us life, and I think sometimes because we've heard that so many times, we become so just—it just becomes a normal thing. That's part of our discussion, and we forget. We forget to focus on the weight of it all. The reality that. God has given you life. He hasn't just healed your soul. He hasn't just given you this eternal life, this gift of eternal life. That's an amazing part of the gospel. But but it's bigger than that. He's giving you life now, the abundant life. And if we're really thankful for that healing, our gratitude will produce worship. If you're really thankful for the life that Christ has given you, your natural response will be worship. Worship is the fruit of our thankfulness for salvation. But what does worship look like? It looks like devotion. It's more than just coming up here and singing songs. We know that. It looks like devotion. It looks like giving ourselves to Christ. Devotion to Him. Devotion to God's will for your life. In other words, our gratitude for salvation, if it's genuine, will lead us to devoting our lives to the will of God. That's the fruit of thankfulness. If you're truly thankful for your salvation, then the fruit of that will be devoting your life to Christ and His will for your life. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. He's concluding his letter in a short little sentence that you could easily just breeze past. If you're just kind of reading through, you'd be like, oh, that's some concluding remarks. Let's just kind of breeze past. You wouldn't really settle in and, and get the weight of it all. But he gives us three things that God desires for our lives. And if we're really thankful for the salvation that God has given us, our response will be to live out these things. So let's let's read it together. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Rejoice always, pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what's the first thing he says is part of this life of worship, this life of devotion, living for God's will? He says rejoice. Rejoice always, verse 16. I'm not usually in a bad mood. Usually circumstances don't really like affect my mood a whole lot. Um, but the other day, I allowed a circumstance to really, man. It just put me in a horrible mood, and I really, I realized like how short tempered I got uh, two weeks ago. I don't know if you guys know this horrible tragedy, but the Cowboys lost to the Denver Broncos, and man, I was. You can ask, you can ask back in I was just in a bad mood. I was like, I was like, I can't believe we just we've it's been such a good year, it's been such a good year, and we lose to the Broncos. It wouldn't even like, like, like if we lose to the Chiefs today, I'd be like, all right, that I mean, that kind of makes sense. We lost to the Broncos, right? And, and so I was just like in this horrible mood all day, and I had to kind of like check myself and realize this is like a lot, this is, this is dumb, like you're an idiot for getting so passionate about something that doesn't matter, right? But I allowed it to to affect my joy, right? I allowed this circumstance, and a dumb one at that, admittedly, to affect my joy. And I know that's a trivial, trivial example, but, but sometimes our circumstances, they can be way worse than that, right? Sometimes circumstances in life are way worse than your favorite football team losing their game. I get that. But it illustrates just how easily our moods can shift, right? How easily one little stupid circumstance can shift everything. Paul says part of God's will for your life, one way that we worship Him, is by rejoicing always. Always. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence that we've surrendered our lives in faith to Jesus, that that response, the, the the fruit of that one of those is is joy. Not happiness, but joy. And we've talked about the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based off the word happenings. It's based off the circumstances in your life. So you get a job promotion, of course, that's going to make you happy. You get a new car, of course, that makes you happy. You get uh, some kind of new gizmo or whatever, it's going to make you happy. And, and But that happiness immediately can go when some kind of negative circumstance happens in your life, right? But joy is something different than that. Joy remains even in the midst of negative circumstances. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Corinthians as well. Second Corinthians chapter 10, he says, as grieving, yet always rejoicing. He says, even though his circumstances are less than favorable, even though there are circumstances to grieve, he still rejoices. Why? Because God is good. God is good. That's that's, that's something I want us to really settle in on this morning, that God is good. He's good and He loves you, and that's enough to rejoice about every single minute of every single day. I know that there are circumstances in life that, that, that are less than favorable. To be honest with you, I'm being put to the test about this sermon. I prepared this sermon all week, and then right before I walked on stage, this really unfavorable circumstance happened, and, and I'm really being put to the test in this. But you know what? I'm choosing to believe that God is good and that he loves me. There's this new thing where people like to talk about how bad their circumstances are. Maybe it's not a new thing. It just seems like it's gotten really like pervasive in our culture today. We're constantly focused on the bad, right? We like we like to complain, we like to talk about how bad things are and how bad stuff's gotten, especially since COVID, right? We love to talk about how things, how bad things have been. I feel like every single event that I've been to in the past two years, someone before they really get into anything talks about, man, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year, COVID, and and all these things. It's just been a rough year. I, I, every event that I've been to. The, the, the organizer gets up and says that. And I've been guilty of that, right? Because for some reason, we like to focus on the negative. And there may have been bad circumstances in the past two years, but there's always something to rejoice about. Even in the midst of horrible circumstances, there's always something to rejoice about. And Peter tells us exactly what that thing is. We studied this just a few weeks ago. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because... You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy, a joy that goes beyond human comprehension, a joy that remains despite intense negative circumstances in life. Why? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is your salvation. And listen to me, church, this morning. I don't care how negative experiences, you, how many negative experiences you have. It's okay to rejoice in your salvation. That's enough to live in joy over. God has saved you. And you can see His work in your life. And that brings joy even when you get a bad health diagnosis. Even when you lose your job. Even when you just have a bad day. Listen this morning. Christians, we're not marked by our complaining. Christians are marked by their joy. The fruit of the Spirit is not complaining. The fruit of the Spirit for the Christian is joy, even in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. It's how we show the world that Christ has really changed us and given us a new life. Paul talks about this as well to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And just in case you miss that, I'll say it again, Rejoice. Again, our joy has deep roots in Christ. In who He is, and in what He's done. So when the storms of life rage, we remain joyful because those roots hold strong in Christ. How can someone have joy in the midst of a horrific circumstance because Jesus is Lord and reigns now and forever and He is the object of our faith. He's the object of our faith. He's who we've put our trust in. So when that storm rages around us, and there's so much uncertainty and fear and and wonder about what's going to happen. As the Christian, you can remain joyful because your faith is not in any of the circumstances. It's not in yourself. It's not in anything else other than God, and God has proven himself to be true. Paul says, the Lord is near. This is why we rejoice. He's got it under control, and the circumstances of this earth, good or bad, are fading away so Good day or bad day is still a joyful day because it is His day. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. Verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul says current circumstances aren't even comparable to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's where joy comes from. That's why we can rejoice always in all circumstances. Joy is a product of our gratitude. It's a natural response to the spiritual healing that God has done in our life. We rejoice constantly because it shows that we're truly thankful for what God has done and continues to do in our lives. Not only do we worship by rejoicing in everything, but also in our prayer. Look at verse 17. He says, pray constantly. This week we got a... uh, well, actually a few weeks ago, we got someone donated a uh, new camera for us to stream to because we were having a lot of issues. I don't know if you guys, uh, some of you guys may have noticed there was a lot of issues with our streaming camera. And so uh, I, someone donated one, and this week we spent a lot of time getting it installed. I am fairly tech savvy, but it only goes to a certain point, right? So I call a guy named Dalton Washburn anytime I have questions. And so the other day we're installing this camera, I, I I probably called Dalton maybe 17 times, like over and over again throughout the day. I know I'm driving the dude crazy, but I feel, I mean, he's the only person, I, I don't know who else to call. I'm fully dependent on him to be able to make it work, because I don't know how to make it work myself, right? And I and I can Google it, and I can read stuff, and, and I just can't, I still can't figure it out. So I have to call him over and over again and be like, hey... I've got this issue. What should I do? Or what have you seen? Or what would you recommend? Over and over and over again, I'm calling him because I am fully dependent on him to to, to solve the, the the issue. This is the point Paul's making here. Constant prayer is a gift. The fact that you can go to God on a constant basis—that's a gift. You don't deserve that, right? You. The Bible tells us that, that our sin separates us from God. And so, what we deserve because of our rebellion against God is to be eternally separated from God. But because of the grace and mercy of God, He's opened up a doorway and a pathway for you to be able to have a relationship with Him, to go to Him constantly throughout your day in prayer. That's a gift. When we recognize our dependency on God, of course, We're going to run to Him constantly throughout our day. When you recognize that you ain't got it all figured out, and and you're incredibly hopeless to navigate the storms of life, or even the easy parts of life, the mountaintops, the valleys, you're incapable of, of handling that. And you're fully dependent on God. When you come to that conclusion, Of course it makes sense that as you go throughout your day, you're constantly going to Him. God, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to handle the situation. I don't don't know what I'm supposed to do. For God... I'm on this mountaintop right now and I know that the temptation is right around the corner and God, I need your strength to make it through this situation, right? There's, there's this constant dependency on God to live this Christian life and when you come to that conclusion, when you realize it, then your natural response is going to go to Him through prayer constantly. Look what Jesus says in John 15:5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the life source. You're sustained by me. You can't accomplish anything good apart from me. How many times do we see Jesus make this point? He says he's the bread of life, and anyone who consumes that bread will never die. He says he's the living water, and anyone who drinks from his well will never thirst again. Listen to me, church. You can do nothing good on your own. Julian talked about that last week. You can't do life on your own. You will fail constantly if you're trying to do it by yourself. You're fully dependent on Jesus for life. And when you recognize that, your natural instinct will be to pray constantly. We've talked about the the fact that your flesh is warring against your spirit and you have an enemy that's seeking to devour you, and you live in a world that will hate you for your faith, your only hope to endure is Jesus Christ. So pray. Pray like your life depends on it. Pray like your kids' lives depends on it. Pray like your eternity depends on it. But but what are we supposed to do? Lock ourselves in a closet and just spend our entire days, our entire waking moments with our head bowed and our eyes closed praying? It's not realistic, right? It's not practical. So I want to take a moment just talking about the difference between the physical posture of prayer versus the spiritual posture of prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5 says, whenever you pray, this is Jesus talking, He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. He says, truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. You could read this passage, and you could get super legalistic with it. Lots of people have. Some people literally only pray the Lord's Prayer. That's like, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that." I mean, that's all they do. They're like, Jesus said to pray that way. That's what you're supposed to do. That's not the point Jesus is making here. The, the problem with that mindset, if you take this super legalistically and think I can only pray when I go into a closet, lock myself in there and pray in private, is that we see Jesus multiple times pray in public with people all around him. Right? So if you take a super legalistic approach to this, then you're indicting Christ for praying in a public arena. We see that over and over again. Jesus isn't trying to give us a scripted way to pray. He's actually calling out the legalistic prayers of the Pharisees. He's saying it's not about the physical posture of your prayer. It's about the spiritual posture of your prayer. It's about your heart. He says don't pray for the approval of man. Don't pray with repetitious words to sound spiritual. He says, pray with sincerity. This is the point that Christ is making here. He's not saying you have to have this legalistic approach to prayer. He's saying, come to God with sincerity of heart in your prayers. Prayer is such a heart thing. It's, it's not even about the specific words that we say. right? We get wrapped up in that sometimes, especially if we're praying in a public arena. We think we've got to sound all spiritual and Lord thouest knowest, right? Have you ever heard someone pray like that? It's like, man, that dude, that dude knows how to pray. He sounds awesome when he prays. That's exactly the opposite of what Christ is saying here. It's not about that, right? Look at what Romans 8.26 says. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What's that saying? It's saying it doesn't matter what you say. Your words don't matter. Your physical posture doesn't matter. What matters when you pray is the sincerity of your heart and in your weakness, even though you don't know what to say, even though you may babble on and sound like a crazy person, it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit comes in your weakness and prays on behalf for you. He intercedes for you. He takes the nature of your heart, the the, the sincerity of your heart, and he brings that to God as an act of worship. So we pray because we recognize we're dependent on God. We recognize that He's the bread and water of life. He's the vine. We have nothing without Him. So we pray constantly. Sometimes the physical posture of our prayer is that we're knelt down on our knees in private, crying out to God with all sincerity. And sometimes the physical posture is is crying out to God in our hearts while we're at work sitting on our desk because the stress and temptation is overwhelming us. And sometimes the physical posture of our prayer is that we're united as a body lifting up sincere public prayers for God to bring revival to the hearts of people. Listen to me this morning. The physical posture of your prayer and the words that you speak Don't matter. It's about the sincerity of your heart, and that's how it's possible to pray constantly. So when you're driving down the road, you're praying. When you're sitting at your desk at work, you're praying. As you go throughout your day, you're constantly dependent on God, constantly going to God in every moment, whether it's the mountaintop or it's the valley. You're going to God because you realize in all circumstances you're fully dependent on God, and that recognition, that sincerity is an act of worship. When you come to that conclusion in your heart and your mind, man, I need God. I can't do this on my own. The response of that is constant prayer. And that mindset at heart is an act of worship. Look at the last thing he says, verse 18. He says, Be thankful. He says, Give thanks in everything. I love when kids pray. Remember? sat down for dinner our kids do this like almost every time especially when they're young you know you sit down and you're like all right who wants to bless the food and the younger ones a lot of times will raise their hand and they will thank god for every little thing that happened in that day right they'll be like thank you god for mommy thank you god for for my dad thank you for my school thank you for Uh, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for my toys. Thank you for the penny I found in my pocket today. I mean, it's just like this constant list. And I'm there like, man, I'm hungry. And this dude is like, he's listing everything in his life, right? Uh, So the point that I'm making here is that all of these are fruits of gratitude, right? Like each one of these things is a fruit of, of gratitude that doing the will of God out of a sincere heart is the fruit of thankfulness. So why be so redundant here? Why be? So, I mean, we just said the whole thing is about being thankful, and now the entire point is about being thankful. But notice the caveat. He doesn't just say be, be thankful. He says give thanks in everything. In everything. And, and so I want to take a second to, to help you understand what that word everything means. I did a lot of work this week unpacking this for you. It means everything. Everything. Right? In fact, it's the same word. The word is pos in the Greek. It's the same word that we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, pos, the same word. So the same way that we apply that scripture, that scripture means everybody, right? Anybody that believes in Christ will be saved, right? Anybody who, who professes Christ, who gives their heart and their, and their soul to Christ, who surrenders to Christ, anybody who does that will be saved, right? We believe that. Well, that same word is used in our text that we give thanks in all things, in everything, all-encompassing. Paul talks about this when he writes to the Ephesians as well. In chapter 5, verse 15, he says, pay careful attention then how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, right? We're, we just, our, our passage in, in 1 Thessalonians says the same thing, right? Understand what the Lord's will is. It's it's that we don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in fear of Christ. So Paul says again, the will of God is that we worship Him and give thanks always and for everything. Now this is a difficult concept. This is a difficult concept. First first we said you have to rejoice even when life's circumstances are less than favorable. Now we're saying you have to actually thank God for those unfavorable circumstances. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Psalm one thirty six one says this: "Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever." Listen, again, God is good. God is. Good. Do you believe that this morning? That's that's where all of this kind of is, is built on. You you have to believe that for any of this to make sense. You have to believe that God is good and his love for you is steadfast. It remains even in the midst of circumstances. You ever tried being like the benevolent parent that goes to the store and and, and buy your, your kid a toy for just absolutely no reason? You ever done that? There's probably been maybe one time in my whole life where I've actually like been that benevolent. Usually it's like you're only getting his it, birthday, Christmas, too many of them. There's been a couple of times when I've been in the store and thought, you know what, it's not birthday, it's not Christmas, it's not, it's not any kind of other thing that's going on, any other kind of circumstance where it, where it makes sense for me to buy them something. I'm just going to buy them this gift out of nowhere and I'm going to give it to them. Have you ever done that and had their response be something like, well, why didn't you buy the blue one? I don't like the blue. I don't like the the, the the red ninja turtle. I like the blue ninja turtle. If there's ever a moment where you consider choking your kid out, that's, that's the moment, right? We laugh about that, but we're guilty of doing the exact same thing with God. Right? God provides us with shelter, and then we complain that it's not as big <laughs> as we would like, or it's not as nice as so-and-so's house, or, or so-and-so has this part, and, and we don't have that. So we spend our lives complaining about it. Or God provides us with a community of believers to live on mission with, and we complain about the fact that the band sang a song that we don't like. Or God provides us with a way to truly know Him through His Word, and we complain, man, I don't like to read. Why couldn't God just send down some videos that I could watch? I don't like to read. Are we thankful in all circumstances? Are we thankful for the provision that God has given or do we just take it all for granted? I would argue that for a lot of us, the latter is true. We take the provisions of God for granted on a daily basis. We complain about the things that God has given us. God has given us so much. I don't care what you're financial status is right now God is giving you everything I think a lot of Christians have gotten really entitled we want what we want how we want it and when we want it and yes we take the provisions of God for granted but Paul Paul's command actually even goes deeper than that He says to give thanks in all things meaning even in the negative circumstances of life mean, even when your world starts to crumble around you. Have you've ever had that, that that experience where it's like, man, everything is just falling apart. It seems like there's just so many just circumstances around and it's so hard to like get catch a breath out of that. I'll say it, man, you gotta give thanks even in that stuff. Give thanks in everything. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. This is is the kicker, 8.28. He says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? It's one thing to believe it in concept. It's another thing to believe it when you get laid off from your work and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills and feed your family. It's another thing to believe it when you you get a horrible diagnosis from your doctor and you don't know how you're going to survive it. It's another thing to believe it when you lose someone you love and, and you're ate up with a broken heart and loneliness. But Paul says give thanks in everything. In everything. This is a faith thing. Thanking God for a horrible circumstance in your life is only possible if you really believe that all things work together for the good of those who are called, who, are, who love God and are called according to His purpose and that God is good and His steadfast love endures forever. If you don't believe that, then this doesn't make any sense at all. If you don't believe that, then, then, then what I'm talking about is completely foreign to you. But if you do believe that, then you can look in the face of a horrific circumstance and say, thank you, God, for that. Because it's molding me and shaping me into the person that you want me to be and I trust you're going to take this experience and you're going you're to work it out for my good. That's faith. That's real faith. That's, that's, that's the real stuff. We worship God by trusting in Him and giving thanks to Him even for the negative circumstances in our life. We worship Him by thanking Him in everything. We show that we're truly thankful by being thankful even when we perceive something to be unfavorable in our life. So the question this morning as we wrap up is, are you thankful? As we spend a day on Thursday to celebrate gratitude, are we really thankful for what God has done? Are we really thankful for the healing that He's given us? Is our thankfulness evident by our worship? Are we living our lives according to His will? Colossians six, 2, 6-7 through seven says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, and what overflowing with gratitude. The God of the universe loved you enough to offer up His Son to be the propitiation for your sin. You deserve to be a child of wrath. That's what you deserved. That's what you chose. God made a way through Jesus for you to be a child of God. And not only that, But He also made a way for you to be free from sin's grip on your life, a way for you to be rooted in and built up in righteousness. And that is worthy of our gratitude. That is worthy of your gratitude. And not an insincere once a year, thank you Jesus for this meal kind of gratitude, but an authentic, passionate thank you that's evidenced by our worship and devotion to God and His will for our lives. A gratitude that leads us back to Jesus over and over again like that one leper worshiping Him for who He is and what He's done for us. So have you responded to the Gospel with gratitude? Have you responded with worship and devotion? Do you rejoice in all circumstances? Do you pray constantly? Do you give thanks for everything? I want our response time to be a little different this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ in a moment where a band's going to come and sing, we're going to have people standing on the sides. If you've never given your life to Christ or there's just something going on in your life that you want to talk to somebody about or you want to know more information on what it looks like to join our church or anything like that, they would love to have that conversation with you. That's how we normally kind of handle the invitation. But one thing I want to do different this morning is I want us to take a moment this Sunday before Thanksgiving to offer up a sincere thanks to God for what He's done. And so if you're physically able I want to challenge you here in a moment when we pray and the band comes to sing. I want to challenge you to either right where you're at kneel down and offer up a sincere thanks to God. Or come down to these altars and do the exact same thing. I know a lot of people are very adverse to doing anything in a public way because we are all have a little stage fright. I get that. There is something to be said about a public profession of what God's doing in your heart. We see that in Scripture. That's what baptism is. right? It's a public declaration of what God has done in your heart. So we see this this kind of call to get out of your comfort zone and and do something in a public way. So I want to challenge you to to maybe do that this morning. Maybe come down to these altars get on your knees and offer up a sincere thanks to God for what He's done. Maybe you realize that In your mind, you're thankful for what God has done for you, but that's not maybe translated into action in your life. Maybe your gratitude hasn't really produced what we're talking about here, real devotion in these ways. Maybe You don't pray constantly. Maybe you don't have that sense of dependency on God. Maybe maybe you don't rejoice in all circumstances. You find yourself to be constantly negative about everything. Maybe the idea of giving thanks, even in negative circumstances, is a really overwhelming thought. I would challenge you to come and offer that to God. Repent of where we failed in our gratitude. And let's choose that this year is going to be different, right? Thanksgiving is not a one-day year kind of thing. It's it's a lifestyle. It's a a daily choice to worship God for who He is and what He's done. So here in a moment, the band's going to come. I'm going to pray. They're going to lead us in a song. And as they do, I want to challenge you to respond however God's leading you. And if you're physically able, I would would challenge us all to in this moment fall to our knees and offer a sincere thanks to God for who He is and what He's done. We pray for us. Father God, we we thank You for the grace and mercy that's, that's been given to us. in our rebellion, You chose to send Your Spirit to open our eyes and see the truth of the Gospel. God, we're, we're forever thankful for that. If it wasn't for that interjection, we would still be pursuing the sin that brings destruction in our life. That would still be what our lives were marked by, but yet You chose, you chose to... to to peel back those blinders and and help us to see the truth and the reality of the gospel and to welcome us in as your children, changing our identities, changing our self-worth. And so God, this morning, I pray that our response to that truth would be gratitude and thankfulness. And not some insincere tip-your-hat-to-the-man-upstairs kind of thankfulness, but, but a lifestyle that's marked by worship. A lifestyle that's marked by joy in all circumstances. A lifestyle that's marked by constant dependency on you. A recognition that we can't do anything apart from you. We need you in every waking moment, good or bad. A life that's marked by Thanksgiving, even when we don't understand the circumstance that we're thankful for. the circumstance. But our faith would be such that we trust that even in the midst of that circumstance, you're working all things together for your good. God, I pray that we would find rest in that truth this morning. That we wouldn't get stuck in the busy ruts of life, forgetting to, to return to Like that one leper, and say thank you. We wouldn't forget to take that opportunity to worship you. Just say thank you for healing you. God, I pray that you would be honored, you would be glorified, you would be worshiped in this time of invitation. To your name, we pray. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.